we all like scary stories. Even back in the day, we recall being kids and circling around the stove fire and the Hogan and hearing these stories. This is Cody Deish, a 34-year-old filmmaker from New Mexico, who, along with his siblings, Colette and Colin, know a very different skinwalker than the one on Fugel's History Channel TV show. The skinwalker, you know, Navajo, you call it the Yenakloshi, which means it moves on all fours. It's an entity, if you will, or a, a supernatural being. It's in teachings and in stories. It's a very powerful part of our Navajo culture. For the Deish siblings, these shapeshifters aren't just a story. It's part of their beliefs. As kids on the reservation, their parents told them how to avoid drawing a skinwalker's attention and how to protect themselves if they had. Growing up, we were always taught certain things like don't go outside at night, don't whistle. It's kind of like you're poking at the devil. The brave ones actually put ash around the house or ash on, on the windows or the doors. Those are the brave ones. You know, I definitely am not one of them. But even if you're cautious, it doesn't mean you're safe. Cody thinks he might have had an encounter personally. One night, while he was driving with friends in the middle of nowhere, miles away from anything, I could have sworn that I seen something cross the road as we're driving through the dirt roads. It's almost like something running, almost like from your peripheral vision. Like, like the moment you try to see it, you can't really understand what it was. It just happened so quickly. But I vividly remember having that really huge fear because I know it wasn't a dog or a person. Other friends were there, and they didn't see it, but I did. So that's why, to this day, like, did I really see that? Or was it meant for only me to see? And to this day, I still believe that there was something that, like, it was meant to be seen. It just still kind of freaks me out. As they grew older, the Daesh siblings got interested in film, especially horror movies. But there was nothing out there that sounded like the stories they'd heard around the fire. Nothing like the experiences they'd had. We came to an understanding that we have our own story through our culture, through our bloodline, as far as being Navajo people. They decided to make their own movie about skinwalkers. We had no money to do this, but we just had this vision and this idea. In the movie... A Navajo family heads to their summer sheep camp in the mountains. Their oldest son, played by Colin, gets targeted by a skinwalker and makes some startling discoveries about his family. This takes place in the late 90s for a family that lives out deep in the reservation without any running water or no electricity. And I was thinking, okay, if we want this accurate, we got to find a place like this. And... Once the sun started going down, you know, that's when I started thinking, okay, we're filming in the dark out here in the middle of nowhere, and it's like we're pretty much calling out to it. As they were filming, the siblings became convinced that skinwalkers were showing themselves. They would hear things, feel eyes on them, but find no one. One day, after filming wrapped, their vehicle refused to start, stranding them deep in the woods. But to them, it was worth the risk. We've heard your stories, and this one, this one's different. This one's very unique. This one's ours. 
For the last four transmissions, we've been digging into the relationship between the government, its employees, and various eccentric millionaires obsessed with UFOs. We've been trying to understand them and the work they've done. But when you only focus on the government and the rock stars, you risk losing track of what brought people here in the first place. It's staring out into the night sky and realizing that your problems don't matter, and neither do your clever solutions. We're talking about the friggin' meaning of life, that the universe is more weird and strange and bizarre than you can imagine, that there is more in heaven and earth than what can be found in your philosophy, and that there have been people embedded in this worldview far longer than white guys like me. So before we move ahead with what happened with to the stars and the questions it raised, and we will get to that, let's remember why and how people give a shit about this topic. I'm MJ Benias. From something else, this is Fringe Network, Alien State, Transmission 5. All's not what it seems. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. There he is. How's it going, Jim? Can you hear me now? This is Jim Semivan, former spy and VP of operations at To The Stars. And I think it was, it was George Knapp who said it. He said sort of the UFO community is, <laughs> use the term lily white, the UFO community in general. Everyone just seems to be kind of from the same background. I would just love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, it's I mean, very noticeable. It was, and, and George is absolutely right. It's it's way too lily white. It's just a bunch of gray hair, white old men. Simavan seemed to really chew on this. I don't know. I, 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 you know, I'd have to sit down and think about it and figure out why it right? in that way. But you know, it, it, why it does that way. But it is strange. I, I, I don't. I think the community is so shocked by their topic area. They never really sat down and thought about it. Dear listener, actually, it's Transmission 5. I feel like we know one another. Cool if I just call you listener? Say nothing, if that's all right. Great. Listener, my first interest wasn't the people with the fancy badges or top-secret clearances. My fascination started with everyday people who had experienced something spectacular. Walk into any bar and just ask people if they have ever seen a ghost or a UFO or Bigfoot people will start telling you stories. Sometimes it was their mom or their brother, but everyone has a story. Once you begin the search for truth, it's easy to become someone who doesn't sleep, someone who smells like energy drinks, jerky, and is full of righteous indignation. But when you get caught up in piecing together clues, getting lost in the red string, it's too easy to forget that at the heart of the matter, is something potentially extraordinary. For some that have had direct experiences, it's not a fun mystery or a philosophical question. It's a visceral, life-altering feeling. This here? 
Oh yeah, we couldn't have picked better weather. Bartla Valley is a respected indigenous soapstone carver in his mid-50s living in Canada. He understands what it's like to see something and feel like it was meant to be seen. Something happened to Bart when he was 12 years old. He had just left his grandparents' house and started the short walk home for dinner. So I'm walking and all of a sudden, holy right here. I'm looking, I see this craft right here, about 25 to 35 feet across, silver, spinning, lights going around it, not a sound. My uncle was in the army and I know that's no helicopter. So I'm going, let there be sound. No sound. All I could hear is a swish of air. The wind, it was the wind, because it's spinning so fast, the craft. So I'm looking at my door, I'm looking at the craft, and I'm like, boom. Man, it all went blank. And next thing you know it, MJ, I'm over here. He walks about 20 feet and shows me where he ended up. When I came conscious again, I was standing right here. And I was watching a craft right here, just parked, hovering, and I'm watching it. And I'm crying. I'm crying because it's leaving. I'm like, why are you leaving me? And then MJ, it shoots up about a mile and I can still see the light where it left. It shot up a mile and stopped on a dime, and then it shot up one more time, and when it took off, I could see it leave the stars behind out there. And it was gone. It was gone, boom. La Valley would never be the same. Like they did something. Yeah. Like they changed my thinking to make me feel to miss them. One of Lavallee's grandmothers became worried when her grandson wasn't home for dinner at five. His grandparents' house was only a minute away. He had no sense that two hours had passed. According to his family, he walked in the door at seven o'clock. When he told his parents what he saw, why he was late, he hoped they'd be as amazed as he was. And that's when I told him. You never believe what I just seen. And then that's when they started saying to me, shut up, people will think you're crazy. Lavallee couldn't let it go. He's been trying to make sense of the encounter and the loss of time ever since. What happened, you know, like to figure out actually uh, there's a really great possibility I was abducted. It's something that's on the front of my mind every morning, every day, every night. When I wake up, I go to sleep. It's there. It doesn't ever leave. That wasn't the last strange sighting he's had. Over the years, Lavalle says he sees bright orbs in the sky and craft-like objects all the time. His little community of Wheatland is what he calls a hotspot. One of the hottest spots, uh, like you can see all those other places around the planet, this is one. Right. Where you'll you'll see something if you come out here, you're guaranteed to watch something fly by. Yeah, I mean, I, how many do you see? Maybe a good good twenty sightings a year. Twenty a year. He says he's reported his sightings to the University of Manitoba, but the university dismissed them as satellites. Maybe they're kind of like trying to relay some kind of message, showing themselves. I don't know. 
it just seems I get a lot of sightings. There are countless people like Lavalley who have had experiences like his. Yet, there are no men in black here, no government investigations, no millionaires buying up the land. It's just stories. But for Lavalley, it's something more. Native people aren't listened to. Right. Their, their mythology. They have to see it for themselves, and it's hard to see a spiritual realm. I heard this say, you, you don't understand, we're not here to harm you, we're here to help you. Remember Christopher Bledsoe? We heard from him in Transmission 2. He had an encounter with a being in the woods, and then in his yard. He believes the being cured him of his chronic illness. I've never had one more problem from that day forward. His story attracted many in the UFO community, including scientists, feds, people from to the stars. At first, Bledsoe reached out in hopes others would give him answers. In 2020, a scientist from a prestigious college and his wife came to visit the Bledsoe's. The scientist heard about Chris Bledsoe's story and wanted to learn more about the phenomenon. They do some sky watching. And within a minute or two, these orbs started appearing. And it blew him away. Uh, we recorded the first one when he saw it. The scientist, impressed and mystified, goes home. And so within two, three days, he calls me and he says, something weird's happening. He said, I keep feeling water come out of thin air, and I'm seeing it on my floor. Uh, he has a house in Alabama, a, a beach house with a metal roof, just had it replaced. He said, it's not even raining. And I just started laughing. Another few days go by, and the scientist calls Bledsoe again. He's starting to get freaked out. Now it's happened three or four or five times, and it happens while he's talking to me. His wife had had a stroke uh, before I'd met her. But now all her symptoms of the stroke has disappeared. And it happened very quickly during that time. From the start, we've talked about these things in terms of a threat, in terms of potential weapons. We haven't talked about divine intervention. I call them uh, cherubs or angels because I don't think of, when I say that word, I'm not selling religion by no means, but it means a lot of difference between an angel and an alien. These are always around us. They know your thoughts. They know what you're going to think before you think it. They guide you. I have a lot of people that reach out to me every day, every day. Can you pray for me? I've got cancer. Can you pray for me? And I've seen people get healed. It's not me, it's them. Now they do this. Probably, for most of you, it's fun to talk about this stuff casually. But we really are talking about something sacred. We live uh, aware that we are going to die. It's going to end for each of us, and we're hoping for some solace, some assurance that there's more to life than this one planet spinning around in endless cold darkness. If you think about all this too long, you'll confront that you're a tiny, singular creature, that yours is a precious and fragile experience. Maybe that's why the public who pays attention to this stuff are either so quick to buy it whole cloth 
what people and groups sell, and why some are also so quick to dismiss it all. We want to believe. We are afraid to believe. As for the people who have had first-hand experiences, for the vast majority of these people, their search for answers is limited. They will never be able to build a ranch full of fancy equipment to detect the otherworldly, or hold a press conference attended by major media outlets to tell their story. So instead, they look to those with power to help them understand. People like the Bigelows, the Fugles, the To the Stars crew. The hope is that these people are going to give us all insights about the universe, and thus, how we fit into the cosmos and the meaning of our lives. That meaning can be hard to find, but there's one thing we can trust that will bring us certainty and happiness, and that's whatever ads are about to run. Enjoy. I'm going to grab an energy drink and some jerky. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girly? <laughs> some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed with mushrooms? Not really. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. I think I've always been a freak. This is Erica Lukes. She's a Pilates instructor living in Salt Lake City. I'm sitting across from her, surrounded by mats and kettlebells. They are taunting me like glowing orbs. Except instead of telling me to explore the unknown, they're whispering for me to get back to the gym. Today, Luke's balances getting her sweat on and being a UFO historian. It's a change for her. She was once a UFO investigator. In 2013, she said she saw what she believed to be a UFO. I had my friend over that night. We saw this light that hovered, and it was hovering in place for quite some time, probably 15 minutes. Luke's couldn't make sense of what she and her friend were seeing. So she got up binoculars to check if it was a plane or something like that. But even with a closer look, she couldn't make sense of it. And then it appeared that another one came out of it and then moved around in a circle. To this day, Luke's isn't sure what she saw, but she decided she wanted to look into the strange things in the sky. And so I just thought, why not? I'll really get my freak on publicly. Luke's wanted to find answers, and she wanted to search for them within the UFO community. She joined a group we briefly mentioned in the last transmission, MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, and she became a UFO sleuth. This is the volunteer group that looks into this stuff. Instead of armchair cold case hunters, they are armchair MIB. I, too, was once amongst their ranks. Back in 2012, 
when I first started researching the UFO world, I joined MUFON. To do this, I had to buy a manual, study it, and take the multiple choice open book test. It's not very hard. Yes, I was overjoyed when I passed. A couple of weeks later, I was onboarded. I was actually told it was unnecessary to be onboarded while wearing my cap and gown from university graduation, but, you know, I wanted to celebrate properly. Jokes aside, searching for UFOs is less thrilling than you might expect. You spend a lot of time looking through satellite maps. I eventually left, but Luke's rose the ranks. She even handled one of their more notable cases. I had a couple really big cases, which were fun. One was made international headlines. Uh, It was an airline pilot uh, crew that was flying over Nephi, Utah, and they radioed the uh, tower that there was an object underneath the plane that was keeping pace with them. And we were able to see that there were a number of anomalous radar returns in that area. And that was one of the bigger moments. Besides this, she tried to get a younger and more diverse group of people interested in MUFON. And for all of her efforts, she made the cover of MUFON Mag. Uh, Nope. I was getting hit on constantly by really strange people. I had one fellow that was introduced to me through MUFON, and this person became, like, obsessed with me. It was really frightening. Lukes spoke up. She went on radio shows to talk about what she thought was bad behavior and a bad culture that was being overlooked at MUFON. I resigned due to some of the sexism and and bullying in the organization that was directed at me. She says there was backlash to her speaking out. Luke says MUFON hired an investigator to try and debunk her findings on that big case. We reached out to MUFON and they denied this accusation and Luke's allegations of sexism and bullying. Luke's skepticism extends beyond MUFON. She's suspicious of the X-File program the government funded. It's taken the fun aspect of it out of it a little bit for me these days. Can you be more specific? Like, what do you mean? Go talk more about that. I just think that people involved with the Vegas crew. She's referencing Robert Bigelow's crew in his UFO building. Lukatsky, the guy who saw the Mobius strip. Colm Kelleher, the biochemist who hired Robert Bush who was the investigator who saw the heads and eyes in the clouds. To be clear, we have tried several times to reach out to Bigelow, Lukatsky, and Kelleher for comment. Radio silence. But um, if you guys want to talk in a bonus episode or something, reach out anytime. Yeah, and there's a lot going on there. And I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, there's never been anything tangible, ever, that has come out from that group of people. But that's not how things should work. Luke's was in a relationship with a guard who worked at Skinwalker Ranch during the Bigelow days. Luke's was able to see the reports that the guy she was seeing had obtained. Yes, physical documents relaying the phenomena that government contractors reviewed, like Bigelow Aerospace. Luke's has a copy of them. I was able to thumb through the stack, and what I saw, I'm here to tell you, boring. At the end of the day, I really... Nothing. <laughs> no, the biggest, I think, it's, oh, who's coming to the gate? Okay, it's this car with this license plate. Right. Maybe these were just the logs of the unspectacular stuff, and all the mind-blowing logs are locked in a cabinet, protected by two armed guards at all times. But from Luke's perspective, 
she had seen something in the sky she couldn't understand, something she believed was otherworldly. She tried to break into the club. She even got a glimpse of the big government work. But none of it added up. I think they weren't studying UFOs there. Looking at Bigelow's logs, it doesn't seem like they were running any rigorous scientific studies that an academic could sink their teeth into. And so, what were they doing? Luke's now has her own theory. Utah's one of the largest concentrations of defense and aerospace contractors. We have a lot of military testing. Luke's thinks that you can hide some pretty nefarious weapons testing by covering it up with excuses of UFOs and spooky creatures. Honestly, I personally think it's a bit of a stretch, but testing with bad results has occurred in the state. We have Dugway Proving Ground, which we know back in 1968 was home of the sheep incident. This incident, 6,000 sheep were killed on ranches near the military base after a jet released gallons of nerve gas in a chemical weapons test. Is the monster mash of Skinwalker Ranch just government experiments? I think there's something going on that's not right. Luke's now buys into this non-alien conspiracy. Can I prove it's non-lethal weapons? No, but there's lots of information out there about specific things that were allegedly experienced on the ranch that are exactly the same types of technology that we know about now. Now, this is obviously speculation, and it's a dark theory to consider. But what's more likely, UFOs or DoD experiments? Me, personally, both are hard to believe. We know that the people who are running these programs seem very interested in UFOs. At least one guard revealed to me that he was told if he discovered clear evidence of weird shit, he'd be paid more. He even said guards were fired if it became clear that they embellished. Now, maybe this was just to support the greater lie. Maybe some of the people involved were in on the weapons testing, and others were hunting for poltergeists. Maybe it's all one person, perpetually clouded in smoke, pulling the puppet strings. I can do this forever, dear listener, musing over maybes, free reign speculating like I'm hanging with DeLong and Rogan and inhaling a California-grown blue dream or sour diesel. Strawberry cough, maybe? Take your pick all the while chugging Red Bulls to balance it all out. But you know, if you want to get to the truth... You put things out to the public. You open things up to peer review. That is what the process should look like. If it's not weapons testing, and if it's not a PSYOP, then Luke's would like for them to stop thinking being mysterious is cool. Like sunglasses inside, stop trying so hard. And what we have here are a bunch of clowns going around and creating a bunch of nonsense, in my opinion, and making money off of it. I mean, the whole thing is just sketchy. <laughs> do you think there's some sort of deeper play here, or do you think they're just all believers and it's just an echo chamber of belief? I think it's both. Yeah, I think they're people that are true believers that, that buy into this and going on YouTube and, oh, I've got this big story that's going to hit and and then here we get some half-assed video that, I mean, you just think, oh, come on. And then I think there are people that are using it for some sort of manipulation. The history supports being cynical and these groups keep being sunglasses inside level mysterious. 
And that goes for To the Stars 2. Okay, I'm done teasing this part of the plot. We are going to address it right now. But right now, after the ad break. Hello, I'm Tom DeLong, and thanks for joining us live today. Uh, this quote Let's pick up the To the Stars guys where we left them. It's October 2017, just a couple of months before the world knew about the fighter pilots encountering UAP. Tom DeLong is standing on a stage in a suit. Behind him sit Mellon, Elizondo, Semivan, and some others. They all look great. To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science aims to communicate historic events and build an exotic craft with an energy source that can revolutionize the world. Yada yada, DeLong introduces Chris Mellon. Thanks very much. I'm thrilled to be here and to be part of this. And Lou Elizondo. For starters, To the Stars Academy is planning to provide never-before-released footage from real U.S. government systems. Not blurry amateur photos, but real data and real videos. Of course, on this front, they mostly delivered. There's a thing. It's rotating. In the months after the videos came out, the topic of UFOs blew up, and Tom DeLong, Lou Elizondo, and Chris Mellon were at the center of it all. It felt like a different kind of transparency. It felt so real, like the truth was actually going to come out this time. Mellon and Elizondo landed a History Channel show, where they interview former military personnel, investigate modern UAP cases, and explore the alleged technology behind the anomalous objects in the sky. I put my entire career on the line because I believe in what I believe in. He ran the Pentagon's top-secret UFO program. We brought forward the first truly authoritative, credible military information about UFOs in decades, if not ever. They used celebrity and politicking to change the conversation and led the government to actually take action. And along the way, they celebrated the sea change for instance, this moment on their podcast in 2020. To introduce legislation that requests the creation of a UAP task force that will issue a public report on the phenomenon. Chris, this is like a huge deal. UFOs went from tales of backyard abductions to a congressional talking point. It seemed like DeLong's dreams had come true almost as if he had manifested it by meditating in a desert near Area 51. Then, for people who seemed to be very into talking, things went eerily quiet. In the subsequent years, To the Stars released some movies, books, TV shows, comics, but was pretty quiet about matters of state security. And well, the former government men who had started it all, Mellon and Elizondo, well, they completely disappeared. What was going on? Answers would come from their go-to outlet. Not the Joe Rogan experience, the other one. What's going on with TTSA? There's, a, there's these rumors floating around that an announcement is coming in January that's going to shake things up a, a bit. Elizondo went on coast to coast, because of course he did. I love my friends at TTSA, but I also have to say, you know, my mission has always been very clear, George. And that was to push disclosure forward. After three years, you know, I can look back and I think we've achieved much of what we've set out to do. There appeared to be creative differences. TTSA, it's no secret, also focuses on, on its entertainment division. And, you know, let's face it, guys like 
Chris Mellon or myself, we're not entertainers. We're not. You can watch The History Show and their countless media appearances and decide on whether or not they are entertainers. But Mellon delivered the same line. I'm not an entertainer, so there's not a lot for me to do there. Five years after joining to the stars, the two people that were responsible for the release of the fighter pilot videos, Mellon and Elizondo, parted ways with the company. In the wake of their departure, DeLong has been harder to get a hold of. But after months of email exchanges with DeLong's sister, I was able to connect with Mr. Blink-182 himself. Hello? Hello, hello. Hey, everybody. It's Tom. We spoke in November. He'd just finished a tour with his band Angels and Airwaves. Yeah, the guy who changed the world and is running a media technology and research company also has a music hobby. Oh, I, I'm actually at um, a coffee shop pulled over with my truck and I'm on uh, headphones on my phone. There's so much I wanted to ask DeLong. Mostly what it's like to play with Travis Barker or what his age is again. But we only had an hour, so I kept it tight. I wanted to understand what he learned in his tremendously weird four or so years. There was a lot of management of the message to really make sure that we don't piss off places in the government that don't want this to happen. Because at that point, too, like you have a lot of places in the government that are waiting for us to do something wrong so they can shut the whole thing down. Is that sort of explain why you sort of receded from the public eye for a while? I mean, you know, realistically, you kind of vanished for a bit there. Yeah, absolutely. I don't have the standing to be the one discussing this stuff. I know a hell of a lot about it. I know a hell of a lot that I shouldn't know. But when I'm in the company of active people within the U.S. government, and this is what they do, it does not give me the authority to be the one talking, you know? It was kind of created a, a conundrum where People are like, we got to get taught. And I think a lot of the time they wanted to get me on there because they knew I would say something crazy. You know, Tom will just say whatever, you know, <laughs> which I, I did a couple of times on accident. And uh, that was not good. So DeLong passed the mic to Mellon and Elizondo. And the two former G-men seemed to embrace the spotlight for a time until they were gone. They kind of just like up and left. Can, can you provide some light on that? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like they just got up and left. What's really tricky is that we're involved with government contract with guys that have active government clearances, but yet we're creating, you know, things that are entertainment related and speak very loudly, you know, so you don't really ever want to put sensitive government secrets next to an entertainment company. You know? So it's like, it's kind of difficult. And so I, with Chris, um, he is involved in some very high level sensitive things. And it just made more sense for him to be able to do those things without this distracting stuff. But what about Elizondo's departure? Lou has a lot of desires to go out and do a lot of things that we're just not even doing at this time. And he wanted to go out and do a lot more different types of media than we were even doing. And then someone comes with this, you know, a huge job that, that is just incredible. It's like, yeah, you got to go take that. Elizondo had gotten a book deal, so maybe that was what DeLong was referring to. Regardless, Elizondo no longer would be entertaining with To The Stars. So what does this mean for To The Stars and DeLong? 
Are they just a production company now with a fantastically unique way to launch their brand? Or will more G-men turn in their G-badges for To The Stars? As far as having more people join the company from various places in the government on this subject, that is easy. Finding other people to come in and pick up where these guys maybe left off is already in the works. So it's just a matter of time before we announce things, you know. It feels a bit like deja vu. I can't talk about it, followed by the hit. Watch what my company does next. Maybe To The Stars is a one-hit wonder. Or maybe they'll prove us all wrong. Again. It's been five years since the public has seen the pilot videos. And I'm no closer to knowing if there are aliens amongst us. I'm no clearer on what those things were in the videos. I don't know if the To The Stars crew have more information they can't share. What I can say is that a team came forward with evidence of something extraordinary, demanding something be done. That same team disbanded, just as the government dollars started to flow back into the weird shit investigations. But what will the money go to this time? The CIA was seeking a new weapon, aimed not at the body, but at the mind. The military will weaponize anything if it's to their advantage. There's a line item in the federal budget that pays people to be trained in this psychic stuff in the military. There is no way I'm not going to do this. <laughs> dear listener, this is serious, so I'm being formal. Sorry, dear listener. Why should we believe that this time clarity is coming? In the years since the fighter pilot videos, the straightforward story we've been told has gotten more complicated. I just uncovered a document that came out from the Pentagon through the FOIA. Next time on Alien State, should you trust your government? And this will really make people cringe. What if it's him that's being misled by the powers that be that we know have not been honest about this topic for the last more than half a century? Alien State is hosted by me, MJ Benias. It's reported by me and Casey Georgie. Produced by Casey Georgie. Our associate producer is Stephanie Aguilar. Written by Grant Irving, Casey Georgie, and myself. Editing by Lizzie Jacobs and Megan Dietrich. Fact-checking by Matt Giles. Our production coordinator is Lily Hambly. Music by Nolan Schneider. Sound design by Grant Irving and Sam Baer. Engineering by Sam Baer. Our executive producers are Grant Irving, Lizzie Jacobs, Tom Koenig, and Anthony LePay. Special thanks to Pallavi Kotamasu, Steve Ackerman, Charlie Yador, and Danielle Jones-Wesley. Thanks to our legal team, Nimra Azmi and Alison Shari, for Davis Wright Tremaine. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.